Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I am Pastor Ryan. This morning, we begin a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, entitled The Spirit of the Law. As one of the most famous sermons ever preached, it has, in some circles, been regulated to a passage without practical application. However, we believe quite the opposite. The Sermon on the Mount contains a message that the church needs to hear, and today more than ever. Our attention this morning will be given to the subject of anger and its destructive work of causing division within the church. Thanks for listening along as we unpack God's Word together and uncover the true spirit behind God's perfect law. So, middle of the night last night, uh, I woke up and I think I was sleeping a little bit funny on my arm. Have you ever had your arm fall asleep on you while you're asleep? And uh, it felt all cold and I, I couldn't really move it. And, and then after I realized, you know, I got to get the blood flowing to it a little bit more, uh, then it started to get all prickly and tingly and you know what I'm talking about? Ever have that happen? Um, part, part of the body wasn't functioning with the rest of the body. In fact, there was there was a little bit of pain involved. There was a little bit of frustration involved. And the body as a whole uh, was not as functional, as healthy, as served, as best as it could be. That's a, that's a metaphor for the church. Uh, we are told that the church is a body. And every one of you are part of it. There's no version of the church where you sit back and think, oh, it's someone else's job, it's not mine. I have no really role to play. Everybody has a role to play in the body. One of the most dangerous things, however, is when one part of that body ends up in pain or disjunction with the rest. Most often we see this, and the greatest danger for this in the church comes when we harbor resentment, when we harbor anger, when we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts towards one another. We're starting a new series uh, this morning. It's going to go on for the next six weeks. I've entitled it The Spirit of the Law. And it's a, it's a series paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, What we're going to uncover is that six times as Jesus speaks to the crowds, he is going to announce a, a kind of formulaic phrase. He'll say, you've heard that it has been said, and he will quote the Old Testament law. But then he will say, but I say to you, and then he he helps actually correct what has been a false distortion of God's holy law. And so this is why I've entitled it the the spirit of the law, because there is a component of what we have and have been given in the law that has been lost according to a kind of false external righteousness, thinking that you can actually live up to it when Jesus has something far greater, when God's intention is far greater than the very surface level approach of trying to obey the law. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through the first part and we're going to deal with the subject of anger as this is one of the greatest um, 
cancers in a body, in a church fellowship and body. Uh, We're going to give our attention to this one this morning. I think that it might actually be an apt study for us as we are in a time where it's very easy to harbor resentment and anger. Uh, We pray that God would forgive us our sins as we what? Forgive those who sinned against us. Uh, You will read in Matthew's gospel that this takes upon a different term other than sin. Luke records it as sin, but for Matthew, it's an offense. Any little offense. And this is the danger within a church is that very often it's not the major things that divide us. It's the little things that we fail to address and that we fail to forgive. So this morning, we're going to read through the first part. We're going to start in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out. We're going to read through verse 26. I'm going to have two parts to my message. The first is going to be explanatory for a very high-level overview, really dealing with this new series. So I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to talk to us, uh, give us four necessary understandings of what Jesus is doing by interacting with the law. And then secondly, we're going to deal directly with this text this morning for anger. So if you're on board with me, those two halves, we're going to look at a high level understanding to see what Jesus is doing, first of all. And then secondly, we're going to laser in on anger. With that in mind, I invite you to follow along as I read Jesus's words recorded in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, as we uh, are going to begin this series looking at the spirit of the law, this for this morning is our first foray into Jesus's explanation of not just the law, but how the scribes and Pharisees of his day were interpreting it. And so to give us four quick principles uh, concerning what Jesus is doing, uh, the first is that the spirit of the law matters, not just the letter of it. In, In Jesus's day, there were those who thought that all you had to do was define and refine the law down to its very fundamentals so that if you just were obeying those things, you were fine. You were fine. And they missed the greater emphasis that had to do with the spirit behind the law. 
If we're driving in the car and I uh, tell my kids to behave and I hear them fighting with one another, he's touching me, he's on my side, if, I, if I'm hearing something like that, and I say, stop touching your sister, if I, if, I, if I were to say that to my son, what if he were to go like this? Not touching, not touching, not touching. <laughs> Is he obeying the law? Ah, you see the problem, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's not the letter of the law that I, that I had in mind here. It's, it's the spirit behind it that matters. That's the first principle. Number two, obedience to the law isn't in action only, but also in heart and motives. We're, we're going to see that in a little bit more depth as we get into our exact passage here. But as we continue through all six of these examples that Jesus gives, routinely, we're going to see that what God does is he doesn't look on the outside. God does not really care what you look like or how, let me phrase it this way, how good you think you look on the outside. He looks on the heart. Uh, that was one of our readings this morning that Don read, looking at as uh, the prophet came to Jesse, looking to say, uh, which one of these sons is the right one? And here he lines up all of the best, oldest, strongest looking ones. But God had in mind the littlest, the weakest, little old shepherd boy, David, out in the fields. And he has to say this explanation. Look, you may judge people on the outside, but God looks at the heart. So. We need to understand that obedience to the law is not something that you just do with your actions alone, but it actually flows directly from your intentions. Thirdly, the true law, I'm phrasing it that way because Jesus is going to be refining the law to take us back to what God intended when he gave the law. So the true law is promoting positive development of spiritual character, not mechanical righteousness of avoiding the negative prohibitions. So if, we, if you think through the law, right, the Ten Commandments tend to be negative. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Right? They, they tend to be in the negative. Jesus is going to help us see as we go through this study for the next six weeks it wasn't the negative. It wasn't some form of external mechanical obedience that you had in mind. It's actually given to us so that there would be positive spiritual growth. So there, there's a positive element that we're going to be able to define. We're going to see that as we go through each one of these. The, again, these four principles are ones that are going to apply every Sunday. Every time we come and we look at a new section, these are the four rules that are going to apply to that. And then lastly... The law is not an end in itself, but it really is intended to become a means by which you might know God better. If we do this right, you guys, and for the next six weeks, you allow the spirit of God to really work in your hearts and, and we really seek to obey and learn what Jesus is trying to communicate, the goal and the result will be that you should know God in a deeper fashion than you have before. And that's my hope. I, I hope as we go through this study together, uh, every one of us would seek to say with humility, God, I, I recognize that there's a tendency in my life to think I'm better than I really am. 
And I need you to show me what it means to grow in Christ-likeness and to begin to change my life so that when people look at me, they see Jesus in me more than they see me. That's going to take a measure on your part of humility and and ability to uh, really submit yourself under uh, God's word today and throughout this series. But that's my hope. So with that in mind, uh, let's walk through a little bit of what's going on here. I want to first uh, uh, present to you the scope to to what Jesus is speaking to. Um, And though there be a little bit of um, discussion over this between commentators, I, I believe fairly firmly that when Jesus, as recorded by Matthew, is using the word brothers, he intends foremost that the application of what he's saying is happening in the church. Everybody catch that? So, uh, so he's speaking, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He's not just speaking to the disciples, though the disciples are coming near him to listen. It's, re- it's really large, a large group of people that he's speaking to. But I, what I'm saying to you is that the application of every one of these principles is intended for the church primarily and then to the rest of the world secondarily. So what, what that means is when he says, um, uh, you, you've heard said don't murder, but I say to you, anybody who is angry with his, what? Do you remember what I said? Angry with his, with his brother that you understand, yeah, that this needs to apply first of all to the fellowship of my brothers and sisters in the church. But I also then want to caution you so that you don't think that means I can be as mad as I want with them guys outside, right? And it doesn't apply at all to my neighbor. It does. It still applies generally, but foremost, it applies specifically to the church. The second thing that I want to make sure that you don't uh, get wrong is, is thinking, well, are you saying you can't ever be angry? Because I'm pretty sure Jesus was angry. Well, all right, let me start with, you ain't Jesus. All right, let's just start there, okay? So yes, we have record of Jesus being angry. Uh, and Jesus's anger is a legitimate emotion because it's a righteous anger. Uh, so just be careful trying to give yourself a hall pass on anger because you think Jesus was angry. So that allows me to be angry. Or thinking, doesn't the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 4 that um, in your anger do not sin? And so seems like I can be angry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep reading. Because if you keep reading a little further, Paul says, and in your, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. So sure, if we're, if we're going to apply those qualifications to this concept of anger, I'm all for that. I'm all for allowing a righteous anger to be a component of our lives, but don't sin. And if you do, and you will have anger between one another, what does the Bible say in terms of the time scale for when you need to get that thing resolved? Don't let the sun go down. So yeah, if you want to take those asteries and say, yeah, I, I'm allowed to be angry, then I say, good, with those qualifications, we'll be fine. Let it become a righteous anger, patterned after Jesus. Don't sin in your anger. And then secondly, get that thing resolved before the sun goes down. If you do those two things, then that's fine. Uh, with that in mind, uh, if you look back with me at the text, Jesus, as he introduces this subject, he really is going to combine two components of the law. He says in the first verse in 21, uh, do not murder as a quotation directly from the Ten Commandments. However, the second half is not in the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you knew that, because the second half, Jesus says, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
This is the first clue that we get that what Jesus is doing is not simply quoting the law. What Jesus is doing is he's taking what the law says and then what the religious leaders have said about the law. They've combined these two ideas. So just for clarity, I want to make sure everybody understands what I'm saying. Jesus is not simply clarifying God's commandments. Jesus is correcting their false interpretation of God's commandments. Because what they've done is they've attached these um, qualifiers to the commandments so that they think they're doing it right. In fact, they made murder out to be something that was purely utilitarian. Don't murder or you might be under judgment. So if you're not under judgment, maybe you get away with it then. Like this, this is the idea. If you're going to not murder, obedience to the law is specifically commanded so that you don't get in trouble. That's the way in which it was being presented. So with, with that, Jesus is going to give three examples. He's first of all going to say, if you're angry, you'll be subject to judgment. If you uh, call some, your brother Raka, Raka is an Aramaic word that means dummy. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it means. Um, uh, then you're answerable to the Sanhedrin. So they're like the court lawyer, lawyer court, right? Then you're going to come and have to stand before them. Uh, and then he gives a third example. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. I hope you see this escalating, right? Judgment. Yeah, you might get caught. Second example. Now you're going to court. Third example. Now you're going where? Help me out. Hell. Now you're going to hell. So Jesus is trying to show, yeah, this is a pretty slippery slope on this. Let me make sure I clarify for you the actual problem because it's a heart problem. Let's deal with a couple of observations. Number one, forgiveness is the antidote to anger. Forgiveness is the antidote to anger. In verse 24, Jesus says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother. This word reconciliation, it's a beautiful word. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians as a new component of the Christian walk. He says, we used to look at people from a worldly point of view, categorizing them and judging them according to how the world does, but not any longer. He says, Paul says, now we've been given the message of reconciliation, that God does not want to hold men's sins against them, but longs to forgive them. All right, let me just say this. On this first one, I could literally go another 90 minutes. I think for some of you, I might need to. Because I think when you really get down, deep down into the heart, some people have confused forgiveness with ignorance. With just, hey, I, I don't see him anymore. I don't worry about it. There's really no forgiveness that's ever happened because there is no reconciliation. So here's a 90-minute message in 30 seconds. You ready? Reconciliation involves talking to the person. Let's just, let's just start with that. There, there is not a version of cohesion within the body where you're just like, eh, I'm over it, when you're really not. This is not what the text says. I, I, I just want to direct your attention back there. Verse 24, literally, you leave the place where you are and you go to your brother to be reconciled. So I'll just leave it there with you. That if you, as the Spirit leads you, 
recognize that there is some friction in the body. There, there is some needles stinging and pain that shows there's disjunction between two parts or two members. Forgiveness is going to require you going to them. And not in a way that says, you're such a meanie, you're such a dirt. But to say instead, I, I have sinned because I've been harboring anger in my heart towards you. If you do that, it's like an antidote. It's like healing. It's like health and restoration for your soul. If anybody has ever been arguing with their spouse and then they make up, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you know what it's like where, uh, are we good? Right? Are, we, are we okay? Yes, this is in the past. This is over. And you know how you can breathe again? And you know how it's like, oh, good, thank you, right? We're not, we're not disjointed from one another again. It's an antidote. So that's number one. Number two, your relationship with God is affected by your relationship with one another. I wish this wasn't true, but this is so true. There's no way around this. You, if you think me and God are tight, me and God, are, I mean, I do everything with God. I'm the most best. Nobody says it like that. But you know what I mean? If you think that you are actually walking in step with God, but you're harboring resentment in your heart to your brother, you're not walking in step with God. In fact, here, here was a verse. We, we heard three of them this morning from 1 John. Let me give you one more from 1 John. Uh, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother lives in the light. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going. Because the darkness has blinded them. So your walk with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord is affected by your relationship with one another. If you're harboring resentment to one another, you're not walking with the Lord. And conversely, if you are walking with the Lord, you won't be harboring resentment towards one another. So does everybody see how these two strings are attached? If, I, if I'm going to start pulling on this one over here, I'm going to be moving this one because these two are linked together. Number three, you can't hide your heart from God's judgment. You can't hide your heart from God's judgment. You, you may think, as many do, well, nobody knows how angry I am at that person. It's just between me. I just fuss with it all night and it's just something that I carry in my own life. Um... Somebody knows. Who is it that knows? Yeah, God knows. You're not, you're not hiding a thing from God. That's, that's both super scary for us and super comforting. Here's when it's scary. It's scary when you have stuff in your life that doesn't belong there, that you're covering up because you know if people knew, it was going to show you to be uh, your true color, so you hide it. Yeah, that should be a little frightening to you that God sees it clearly. But as you come to the cross, as you confess your sins, it should be incredibly comforting to know God knows you and sees you. So this is up to us. But you need to understand there's no way that you're going to hide this. In fact, if you look at the text in verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... 
What would we call this? This isn't, this isn't a tithe necessarily. This is worship. As you come to worship. And so you understand the only right way to do that is by the Spirit. That we're understanding the worshiper at this moment is remembering something. I wonder who it is that's bringing that person to their mind. Who do you think that is? I bet it's God. I bet it's the Holy Spirit doing that work. Because you cannot hide your heart from God's judgment. We have this passage in Hebrews chapter 4. The writer says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. So you can't hide your heart from God. Number four, unity in the church depends on you. It's it's the pastor's job. Nope, not the pastor's job. I have an equal share in it as you do. We collectively are responsible for unity in the church. I want to show you the text one more time, right? Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Well, he needs to come to me then. If he's got a problem with me, he knows where to phone. He knows my number. He can pick up the phone. It ain't my fault. It's. Now, none of us do that, right? Preaching to crickets this morning, right? Unity depends not on him, not on her. It depends on you. Number five, unity in the church is of highest priority to God. So check this out. You're coming to church. You're going to make your offering at the altar. And what does God say? Time out. I'm not so interested in your gift at the altar right now. I'd rather you go get reconciled with your brother. I'd rather the body function as a whole. And then you come on back and give your gift then. What, what, in terms of priority, what's more important for God? The gift at the altar or the relationship with your family? Everybody see this? Unity is of highest priority to God. Number six. I got a list for us here. Resentment, anger, offense, bitterness, gossip are cancer in a church family and for church unity. Now, all, all those are basically synonyms for a ugly heart, right? Remember, this manifests itself, according to Jesus. It shows up in your words and your actions. So resentment and gossip and bitterness, they're all part of it, right? That, that dummy, that fool, right? There, there is this outpouring of whatever anger is you're, you're, you're holding on to. Guys, you know what cancer does, right? Cancer is a, a secret killer. It, it goes undiagnosed for months and years sometimes, doing damage until the symptoms show up. That's what anger is. Anger in the church, because you're hiding it, and you think no one knows, even though God does, it's doing damage in the body. And eventually, it will show up with symptoms. Eventually, it will creep out, and then we got to do surgery. And then sometimes people leave, and then people get their feelings hurt, Right? Don't wait for it to get to that point. If it is this vital, if it's this putrid and dangerous, man, root it out right away. That's worth an amen, right? What do you say? I heard that car. Thank you. (laughs) 
All right, uh, Colossians, Paul gives a list of sins. Uh, this second list that he gives is relational. It's all dealing with the way in which we relate to one another. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Number one is what? Yeah, anger. And then we have a bunch of synonyms for anger. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with this practice and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. All right, lastly, number seven, your attitude will ultimately be judged by God. So Jesus, as he's correcting their understanding of this, he says, if you're angry, you'll be subject to judgment. If anyone says to his brother, Raka or dummy, you're answerable to the Sanhedrin. But what was the third one again? Do you remember? But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of what? Now, is there anybody on the Sanhedrin that can send you to hell? Can, can your neighbor send you to hell? No human has the ability to separate you in that sense. That's God's role of judgment. And this is what the Pharisees and religious leaders missed. They thought it was only a kind of judgment if you were getting caught. That's not it at all. God sees it. And so ultimately, it will be your attitudes that will be judged by God. So what do we do with this? Let me, let me wrap this up. I want to speak to two different sets of people. First, to the Christian. If, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want to ask you, who do you need to forgive? We're going to, we're going to in just two minutes, we're going to, as a church, remember the symbol that Jesus gave his followers for understanding the cost of your sins payment in the blood and the body of Jesus. When the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth about their practice of this, he says, you know, y'all get together and have the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper because here's what happens. When you come to the table to eat, some of you come and eat before others have the chance. So some get so full and fat and others go away with nothing. Some get drunk and other people get nothing. He says, this is not the Lord's Supper. Instead, what you need to do is wait for one another so that the body does it together. He's going to encourage the church that you give evaluation over your heart before you come to the table. And so this is my challenge to you this morning. If you have anger in your heart. If you remember you have a brother who has something against you, I would be careful how much of this that you participate in this morning. In that I'd encourage you, hey, we got time. I, I don't even care if you get up out of your seat right now and go hug somebody if you have to do that. Put your mask on first if you want to. <laughs> but go and get yourself right with your neighbor. Leave your gift at the altar first. Then first go be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. So that's, that's my challenge to you. I trust that the Spirit will begin that work in your life. But then the second category of people I want to talk to are those who aren't believers yet. I've just been going to church. I, you know, kind of going under the surface. People might not know. Jesus gives two recommendations in this text. The first is where he says about the gift at the altar. That's for the Christian. The second illustration in verse 25 this is for the non-Christian. I, I want to just, as I conclude, I want to draw your attention back again to verse 25 to the end, verse 25 to 26. 
He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. You all have a debt. We all have a debt that we owe God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your debt has been what? Your debt's been paid. So you, you owe God nothing except obedience and allegiance of your life now because he has claim over your life, right? But you, there's no outstanding debt that's left to owe God. But if Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, you're in the red. And you, a finite being, a man or a woman, you owe to an infinite being. The Bible tells us that when we are in our sins, we are enemies to God. Look again at verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Without Jesus, guess what God is to you? He's an enemy. He's an adversary. And please do not hear me wrong on this. He is taking you to court. There will come a day where grace is no longer available. But the king is returning to lay claim to his own. And judgment is all that's left. Judgment, like as in a court. Let me, let me continue here. Do it. This is Jesus' advice. Do it while you're still on the way. Are you, are you breathing here this morning? Anybody in church? You're breathing, right? Guess what then? You're still on the way. You, you still got time. You still have time right now to make your heart right with God. Because judgment day isn't here yet and you're still breathing. But if you don't, you'll get handed over to the judge. And then you'll get thrown to the torturers who are going to demand every penny. And this is the, this is the great difficulty for us as creatures. You are not God. You are a creature of God. And your payment back to him, to an infinite being, is an infinite payment. This is why hell is eternal. So, not very sugar-coated this morning, but I hope I'm shooting straight with you. If you are a Christian, then walk in the light by loving your brother and sister. If you're a non-Christian, I want you to know, don't let God be an enemy with you. Go get settled. Get right with him today. And you will find that your debt is no longer on your account. And you'll be free from anger because forgiveness will be yours. Let's pray.